Good morning, everyone. My name is Kale Caldwell. I lead the discipleship ministry here at Inspire St. James Clerkenwell. And I'm excited to be with you today virtually um, and, and honored to be preaching from James chapter 4. I don't know if you saw, there was an article this week about how lockdown had actually brought a sense of solidarity and more community among uh, people in the UK. Uh, but even already, uh, that solidarity was starting to fray. And I don't know if you're feeling that yourself, um, but I think a discussion about where conflicts and fights come from uh, is relevant to us today. Last week, we looked at a previous chapter in James where James asked this question, who among you is wise and understanding? And he compared these differences between a godly wisdom that leads to peace and righteousness versus a worldly wisdom that leads to disorder and every evil deed. And so this week uh, leads right into this, um, and we find out whether James thinks the people he's writing to are wise or not. And spoiler alert, they're not. Um, and James has some, some strong language, and it's kind of hard to hear. And so I think for us, oftentimes when we hear the strong language from the Bible, we can kind of shut off or get defensive and start to think of reasons why this doesn't apply to me. And so I want us to try and resist that and be open-hearted and, and ask does, does what James is saying, is it true of me? Do I have the sinfulness in my heart? Um, and so let me pray for us before we get started um, about that. Father, help us today to listen to your word, to open our hearts um, and see where we might have sin, bring it into the light and turn to you because you are a gracious God. Amen. So this passage is what's called a chiasm which comes from the Greek letter chi, which is an X. Um, and so that means uh, the, the passage is shaped like an X and the outside parts mirror each other and it works its way in and the very center of the passage is the most important part, the really key verse that holds it all together. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna start with the outsides and work our way in. So first up, let's look at a divided community. This is verses one through three and 11 and 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What do you think? Is it coronavirus? Is it lockdown or job insecurity? Is it being stuck in the same flat with the same person for months at a time? Well, no, James says it's our desires that are a cause of our fights and quarrels. So when my neighbor plays their music really loudly after midnight, it's not the music that makes me angry, it's my desire for sleep and not getting it, right? Not all desires are wrong, but if we want to know why we sin, we need to look deep into our hearts at our desires. In a book called How People Change, Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp speak about our desires. They say, while external conditions can be very influential in our lives and should not be ignored, the Bible says that they are only the occasion for sin, not the cause. Difficulties in life do not cause sin. Our background, relationships, situation, and physical condition only provide the opportunity for our thoughts, words, and actions to reveal whatever is already in our hearts. Our hearts are always the ultimate cause of our responses and where the true spiritual battle is fought. Our desires drive our behavior. That's why one of our core values here at Inspire St. James is engaging the heart. 
because you never see real change in your life if you only focus on the behaviors. I mean, have you ever tried that? Stop lusting, stop swearing, stop watching Netflix so much. You never really get very far if you only focus on the behaviors. You have to get down to the desires. What, what desire is causing me to behave this way? And what kind of desires are causing this quarreling and fighting that James is talking about? Well, he, t- he told us last week, um, and if you haven't listened to the sermon, go back and listen to Pete explain this really well. Uh, he said that when you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. I mean, isn't that true? Envy and selfish ambition. Verse 2 here says, You desire and you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, James probably isn't talking about literal murders, but he wants us to get how serious this is. He's using war kind of language. It's not just little fights and quarrels, but among the church, this has real consequences. People are getting hurt. I mean, how many people do you know who have left the church or even doubted their faith in God because of division and and arguments and fighting within the church? It shouldn't be that way. And it even affects how we relate to God. Look again at verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes you have desires and you don't even go to God. You don't even ask him. And you could. Maybe you just forgot about prayer. Maybe you're not in the mood. But you don't go to him. Other times you do go to ask God, but you ask with wrong motives and that's why you don't receive. So it's like saying, God, please give me that promotion. But you only want the promotion so you can have more money and buy more stuff or to have more control over other people or get that respect that you want so much. God is still there. He hears our prayers, but that functional relationship is, is somehow hindered. We're not, we don't receive what we ask for because of the envy and selfish ambition in our hearts. Then look over at verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't speak evil about your brothers and sisters. I mean, isn't that the natural temptation when you have envy and selfish ambition in your heart? But he says, don't do it. And then he gives this reason that might sound a little strange to us. He says, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. What does that mean to sit in judgment on the law? Well, there's a new song by musical artist Toby Nwigwe called Try Jesus. Let me read the lyrics to you. He says, Try Jesus, but please don't try me, because I fight. He said, Turn the other cheek, but that's one part of the Bible that just don't sit right with me. Do you hear what he's saying? He's, he's being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but he's also being really honest about the way we often think. I know what the Bible says, but uh, I just don't like it, or I don't think it'll work that way. I'm not buying it. And when we slander our brothers and sisters, we're saying, I know the Bible says not to, but I just got to get this off my chest. I can't let this go. I know James says you shouldn't fight and quarrel, but he doesn't have to live with my roommate right? What we're saying is, 
we started judging the law. We started thinking, I, I actually prefer my way over God's way. And this really gets to the heart of the whole book of James. What he keeps talking about is he's saying, you guys believe the right things. You have faith in Jesus, but it's not working its way out in your life. You're not living any differently. And that's what the Christian life is all about. They aren't living it out, and the result is quarreling and a divided community. Let's look now at our next point, divided loyalties. Now remember our X, we're working our way in from the outside. So let's look now at verses 4 and 5 and 7 and 10. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I mean, really strong words here. What's going on? What does he mean by friendship with the world? I mean, because I thought Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his son. So, so what does it mean to, to not be friends with the world? Well, I think his harsh accusation just before actually helps us understand this. So James says, you adulterous people. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, God uses this language of marriage to talk about his relationship with his people. So God gives his full self to his people. He loves them and commits to a faithful relationship to them, to protect them, provide for them. And then so often his people turn away, turn to other gods, and start to live like the world. And, and the Bible describes that like adultery, like turning away from God. And I think that's helpful for us because we know that having an affair isn't just wrong because it breaks a rule. It's wrong because it breaks a promise and it hurts someone. And choosing to have an affair is against your spouse. So it's in that way that friendship with the world is against God. And so does that mean you can't have friends that aren't Christians? Well, no, I don't think it's talking about that. But in the previous chapter, James has been talking about the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. In chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Friendship with the world means accepting the world's kind of wisdom, accepting that bitter envy and selfish ambition aren't so bad. The world is okay with these things. It says use those to your advantage. Use your selfish ambition to get ahead in the world, to look out for yourself. But that's not the way of God. Now, I wanted to mention verse 5 because I think it's a confusing verse, and as I looked at it this week, uh, there's different ideas about how it should read, and I don't think it's crucial for us to understand the passage, but I did want to share with you how I understand this. So let me read it for us. Verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So there's basically two different views of this verse, and it comes down to the word jealously. Does this word jealously describe God's jealousy in a positive way, or is it talking about sinful jealousy? Because the Bible often talks about God being a jealous God. In a similar way, when we talked about marriage, God doesn't want to share his bride with other men. He wants them to be loyal and faithful to him. And so if you read it that way, it'd say something like this. Scripture teaches that God is a jealous God, and he has put his spirit in us, and he wants us to be faithful to him. 
So that makes sense. That seems to be the more popular view. Um, but I actually disagree with that, and, and I do because the word for jealously is thonon, a Greek word which is defined as envy, strife, or ill will. And, and every time it's used in the New Testament, it describes a sinful jealousy. Sinful jealousy. For example, in Matthew 27, it's used to describe the crowd that demands that Jesus be crucified. And so I don't think that word is used to describe a godly jealousy. I think it, re it would read more like this, like a rhetorical question. Do you think the scripture speaks meaninglessly? The answer is no. Do you think God's spirit in you longs with sinful jealousy? The answer is no, of course not. So that's what I think. Uh, either way, James wants us to be faithful to God and choose his wisdom, not worldly wisdom and sinful jealousy. Um, I recently watched uh, the musical Hamilton. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but there's it's about uh, what we Americans call the American Revolution, um, but you might know it as the American War for Independence. But there's a character in that called Hercules Mulligan, which is a great name. He's an immigrant in New York and was a tailor for many wealthy British soldiers and officers. And so as they would come into his shop, he would gather information and then pass secret information along to the Americans. And so Hercules Mulligan, he might say that he's, uh, he's got friends that are British and he's friends with the British, he's friends with Americans too, but he's got divided loyalties. And, and as soon as he starts passing along secret information, he may say he, he's, he's friends with both, but he's chosen a side. He's committed treason, he's an enemy of the crown. And I think that's similar for us. Don't you know that to be friends with the world and accept the world's wisdom, it's choosing a side. It's saying, I'm, a, I'm against God and his ways. Is that you? Do you have selfish ambition and envy in your heart? If you, if you do, if you see that, and you see that it goes deeper than your behaviors into the heart, what then do you do with that? Well, let's look over at verse 7 to 10. The opposite of having a divided heart is humbling yourself before God. Let me read from verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I think this whole paragraph, verses 7, 8, and 9, are all describing what it looks like to humble yourself before God. The proper response when you see your sin and you see that you've got divided loyalties is to then humble yourself. And it's not a passive thing that just happens to you. It's an active thing. James says, do this. Take action. Humble yourself. Submit yourself to God. So, God, I don't want to be in opposition to you. I want to surrender to your ways. I want to follow you and not be against you. Resist the devil. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to resist the true enemy, the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God. This is great. Don't, don't think that when you're sinful, you need to stay away from God and, and be ashamed and keep your distance. Come near to him. Pray to him. You can come near to him and he will come near to you. 
then wash your hands and purify your heart. So clean up what's on the outside. Maybe that's apologizing to a friend you've hurt or making amends. But don't neglect the inside. Purify your hearts. Root out those sinful desires. And then grieve, mourn, and wail. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Because our sin, it's not something to laugh about. You don't just laugh it off. Slander, selfish ambition, fighting in the church. It's not okay. It's bad. Remember how James used the war language about killing. People are getting hurt, so don't laugh it off. We should be mourning about this. Humble yourselves, and then look what happens. He will lift you up. And that brings us to the heart of the passage, the middle of the X, the key to integrity. Look with me at verse 6. But he gives us more grace. What an amazing truth. What an amazing God we have. He gives us more grace. I feel like I need that on a t-shirt or painted on the wall or tattooed on my arm, something like that. God gives us more grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. We didn't do anything to earn it. He gives us his grace, his love. He is for us. God gives us more grace. And it's more grace. God's grace never runs out. It doesn't matter how badly you've sinned or how far you are from God or if, if you struggle with the same sin over and over, his grace never runs out. He gives more grace. You may be saying, God, I've, in my envy, I've hurt the people I care about but he gives more grace. God, I feel trapped in this selfish ambition. He gives more grace. God, I see that I'm, I'm opposed to you. I've been going the world's way and been friends with the world. He gives more grace. This is our God. Verse 6 goes on. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Because a proud person won't receive grace or forgiveness because they won't accept that they need it. The proud person stubbornly says, I don't need forgiveness. I haven't done anything wrong. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And they can't receive grace. I remember helping a friend move house. And in my pride, my goal was to carry as much stuff and not need any help. And so I remember trying to carry a washing machine and I was confident that I could hold the weight if I could just get a good grip, but it's a bit awkward to carry. So I would get a couple feet and then have to set it down and try and regrip. And there are people around to help, but I was like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'm fine. Well, it wasn't until I tweaked something in my back that I was humbled enough to say, I, I need some help. And it's only then that we can be helped when we admit that we need it. The first step on the road to recovery is to admit that we have a problem. And the first step for us towards an integrated faith that, that works its way out in our behaviors is to see the sin in our heart. And notice then that God's grace comes immediately after we see the depths of our sin and right before we humble ourselves. And I think this is a wonderful truth if we went straight from the depths of our sin to humbling ourselves without knowing that God is a gracious God, would you have the courage to come to him? Or would you, would you feel afraid or so ashamed that you're paralyzed? Would you be afraid to admit your sin? Or maybe say you do come to him you, or you do humble yourselves. 
then you might feel proud that you did the right thing if you didn't know God was a God of grace. Now, it's, it's only when we see God's grace fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, we can see the true depths of our sin, that they're not something to laugh about. But we see God's grace. We can come to him and receive his forgiveness, humble ourselves, and he will raise us up. So today, don't skip over this hard teaching from James. Don't say, this doesn't apply to me. Look into your hearts and, and, and root out the places where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you have divided loyalties. Humble yourself before him. He's a God of grace. And if you're watching today and you're not a Christian, really glad that you're with us. Maybe you've been willfully opposed to God. Maybe you've been going against him and you know it. Or maybe you haven't come to him because you've been thinking that you have to earn your way back, that he's not a God of grace, but you have to clean yourself up before you can come to him. Let me assure you that he is a God of grace. He gives more grace. You can come to him today and receive his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I don't know if it's a bit awkward on, on video, but do send us an email. We'd love to chat with you, to pray with you, and, and celebrate and welcome you into the family of God. But for now, let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this word from, from James. Thank you for his boldness to point out our sin um, and we thank you that you're a God of grace so we can come to you, receive your forgiveness, humble ourselves, and you will raise us up with Christ. Amen.